Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. Tom Moran here from Tom's Big Spider. So for this episode, we're going to be taking a look at one genus, the genus Afonapelma. I've long planned on doing an Afonapelma genus review, and I it's one of the most asked about reviews I get. Like, can you do? I know you got a lot of Afonapelma species. Can you please review them all? The problem is, and this is one of the things that sometimes keeps people away from Afonapelmas, and something I always joke about, they take so darn long to grow that I picked up some of these guys, I was doing the notes for this, and I was shocked to see how long I've had them, because the majority of the ones I have still pretty much look like little brown slings. So to do a video like this, I'd love to be able to talk about more, at least in the juvenile stage, have some in the adult stage, it would be nice to have you know a couple of them full grown to go, hey, look at I grew them all the way up, but I just don't have that right now. However, I do get a lot of people that ask about them, I get a lot of folks that pick up little teeny tiny slings and freak out about them, and they've asked me to just cover what I've got now, so that's what we're going to do today. I do have a couple adults, and what, what we'll do is go through some just basic sling care for them, we'll talk about what to put them in when they get in the juvenile juvenile stage or some possibilities of juvenile stage enclosures. I will talk about the couple adults that I have, and then we will go through and just basically talk about the different species I keep and what I've observed as far as growth rates, because that's going to be the one thing, the biggest complaint I hear about Afonapelma, and those of us that love the Afonapelma genus know this and joke about it, they grow in at a, an incredibly glacially slow pace. I don't think that could be overstated and I'm not saying it to drive people away but people need to know because what ends up happening is they are the majority of species on this would make a would make great beginner species I mean let's call it as it is they're very hardy spiders overall they're gorgeous spiders overall the majority of species we're going to talk about today are actually as adults very laid back which are all desirable traits for somebody looking for their first tarantula however the reason why they don't make the list is usually those growth rates when somebody goes out and picks up, they're just getting into the hobby and they decide, I want a tarantula, and they pick up a little quarter inch of Fonapelma species, it is going to be years under most conditions before they have a spider that's going to look anything like the adults of whose pictures they have probably admired. I had somebody that was telling me they picked up the A. calcotas, they got a little teeny tiny sling. And it was going to be their first tarantula. They couldn't wait to grow it up. And they said the tarantula now is about an inch and a half. And they've already raised several other species to adulthood in that amount of time, including some mature males. And if I'm not mistaken, they've even raised one that they have paired. So that gives it hopefully some perspective how long they can take to grow. And this, you factor in the fact that if you buy a sling, you're going to be starting with a very, I mean, if you buy a second instar sling, third instar sling, you're talking a very tiny sling, quarter inch, third of an inch or so. And most people freak out about the teeny tiny slings in the first place, and it's going to take you forever for it to start showing some size. So I put this out there, again, just to get it out of the way, because I like keeping things positive, but it is a part of keeping a fondapelma that people need to recognize getting into it. I've had folks email me. I have been admiring a Fonapelma calcotis for years because this is one that does appear on a lot of the beginner species lists. I've, had, I've been admiring for years. I finally picked up a sling. How long before this thing's an adult? And I kind of giggle like, um, when your grandkids are growing up. I mean, it's, it's a running joke. This is one of the species that folks will say they're going to leave to their grandkids because they take so long to grow. So what we're going to talk about today is some tips and tricks as far as keeping the slings healthy and thriving because they're going to spend a lot of time looking like little brown slings. 
Again, I just had what kind of brought this about is I had two people this week come on and go, hey, when are you going to do an update on your Fauna Pelmas? I really like that last one I did. I believe the last Fauna Pelma update I did was two years ago. I moved them all into these little matchbox containers, and we'll talk a bit about that. And at the time, I was joking, all right, this isn't going to be thrilling because they all look like little brown slings. Well, I had to inform the people that the majority of them still all just look like little brown slings. I love them, and I don't want it to come off as if I'm bashing the genus. I am not, but it is a big part of keeping on Fonda Pelmas. It requires patience, especially if you're going to get the smaller slings. Get a larger specimen, find somebody that's selling the larger ones. Little less time. Obviously, they do seem to be one of those spiders that put on a bit more size once they get past maybe an inch and a quarter or so. Each molt, they tend to molt a little more often. Each molt tends to put on a little more size than before, but still, you're you're in for a long haul when you're trying to grow ones up for slings. So, first of all, what should you keep the slings in? I have a lot of folks that put slings. They'll they'll get little teeny tiny slings and they'll try to put them in fancy enclosures. I like to start mine off in dram vials. Uh, dram vials, A, you can find the really small ones for the really small slings. I've Some of these ones that I first got were literally about a quarter of an inch to a third of an inch or 0.6 centimeters to 0.8 centimeters across. Teeny, tiny little slings. And for ones that are that small, I want to be able to keep track of them. I want to make sure that they can find the food. I mean, the problem is if you drop a sling that big into a 16-ounce deli cup, you are going to have a very difficult time finding the sling, and you're going to have a very difficult time trying to figure out whether or not the sling has actually eaten. So I do like the little dram vials for this. The other thing I've seen used are the deli cups. Now, back in the day, I used to use the 2.5 ounce deli cups, the little souffle cups for a lot of my smaller species. I've steered away from them only because it's very difficult to keep the substrate moist in there. And we're going to get this moist substrate in a minute. But I found that the they don't hold a lot of dirt. And because of the fact, even if you don't put a lot of ventilation holes in them, there's something about that cover. I don't think it's necessarily sealed. And it tends to evaporate. Moisture evaporates out of them very, very quickly. So if using a deli cup with the really teeny tiny ones, I would recommend using a 5-ounce deli cup. Those are a little bit bigger. They will hold moisture a little, a little longer. You can pack in some more substrates. You can get a good inch even more of substrate in there. There, which allows you to keep that substrate from drying out too quickly because that's going to be something you need to keep track of. The problem with slings, little teeny tiny slings like these that take forever to grow is they don't get out of that delicate stage as quickly as some other ones. With other faster growing slings, before you know it, they put on some size, they're out of that stage, and if things dry out a little bit in between, they're going to be okay. The little guys are prone to dehydration. So you want to make sure that you put them in something that allows you to keep those moisture levels up and expect all of the slings to do some burrowing. These will burrow when they're babies. That's important to note. And a little tip that I always share when I talk about a Fonapelma species is to make sure that you keep the bottom levels of the substrate moist. I like to let the top dry out a bit. Bottom level moist. I shared stories before of some of my Afana Palma species where I put them into dry enclosures and they just kind of sat there and curled up in the corner and weren't eating, weren't burrowing. I made a little starter burrow, squirted some water down there. So the starter burrow, basically the bottom levels were nice and moist. Next thing you know what, they're down there digging everything up. They will, in the wild, obviously some of these species come from very arid regions, but they can burrow, they can find moisture under rocks, under debris, under plant. They, they can find the moisture they need. You need to supply them with that moisture at home. So the trick with these guys 
is to not keep them bone dry. That's a mistake. I've seen people say, oh, yeah, just put them in, in bone dry enclosures. Nope, you're going to be running a risk of them becoming dehydrated. However, you don't want to overdo the moisture. This isn't a moisture-dependent species. This isn't one that needs moist substrate and a bunch of moist moss on the top and a water ditch. You have to kind of strike that balance. So, again, I like to have a container that I can trickle some water down the side, keep the bottom nice and moist. It can get to that moisture if it needs it, but it can also come up and get away from the moisture so there's not too much in there. You don't want to overdo it. Now, for folks who are fortunate enough to find larger slings, we're talking about three quarters of an inch to maybe an inch or so, then you can use the old industry standard 16-ounce deli cups. Those work great for the larger species. I've also used the acrylic cylinders you can find online. I think they I, they were given to me, so I don't know where exactly you get them from, but I believe if you do a search on Amazon, you can find those. And they're about 16 ounces, once again, so something around the 16-ounce size will give you enough space to set up a nice little habitat for it where they have enough substrate. Again, you want to keep those bottom levels moist. You can put some cork, uh, cork bark hide in there, starter burrows, because again, they are going to want to burrow. Mine have, I'm looking over at mine now on the shelf, and every single one of them has burrowed down the bottom. Some of them have multiple entrances. Some of them have completely cleared out all the dirt in the bottom. They are wonderful little excavators when they are given the proper environment. I love watching them dig. Even before I was I was getting ready to do this video, I walked over. My Calcotas was rearranging her area, bringing some dirt up from the den, putting it on top. So know that they will continue that burrowing as they get larger. So smaller slings, deli cup, a little five-ounce deli cup. Dram vials is my favorite still. Larger slings, 16-ounce deli cups, acrylic cylinders, something around that size. Even larger slings, you can use those two-quart. I, I like to use the two-quart Sterilite containers. are a little milky, but they're really nice for it. A uh, couple things I wouldn't use. Again, at one point, I used matchbox containers, the ones you put little matchbox cars in. They're probably about, I don't know, an inch and a half deep by an inch and a half across by maybe three or four inches. It's a couple different sizes. One's for the smaller matchboxes. One's for the larger ones. I did try those out a while ago and had a bunch of them in it, but I found that... A, they didn't offer enough depth and I couldn't fit in enough substrate for my liking. So once I packed them in, there was only probably, I don't know, three quarters of an inch of substrate. And once they got to burrowing, it just, it didn't allow them to really construct really nice burrows. So what they would have is I put in a little cork bark, a little hide. It wasn't adequate. It wasn't enough. And I ended up little by little, one by one, moving them out of them. And then B, because there wasn't a lot of substrate, it was very difficult to keep the substrate adequately moist for the, the specimen. I was keeping in there and what would happen a lot of times is I would try to moisten down the dirt it would dry out very very quickly and if you've ever used any type of dirt really if we're not talking about cocoa fiber pea topsoil even the bio I think use bio dude substrate for this once it dries out completely it doesn't necessarily suck up that water when you try to moisten things down. So it became very, very difficult to rehydrate the substrate. I would squirt water in around the edges. It would just trickle right down between the dirt and the side of the enclosure and puddle on the bottom. The spider would come out thinking it was getting flooded. Just a bit of a nightmare. So I would not, I, I know people use these maybe for different spiders. They work great. I personally wouldn't use them again, at least for the Afonopelma species. So I have one that's still in it that managed to create a decent enough burrow in it, but I'm probably going to move that one out today. That's my a Fonapelma hensi and that one right now like if I look at it it's got a little burrow but again I have a very difficult time adding any moisture to it the other enclosures that I've used I have two of them in these are the tarantula crib sling enclosures I believe they're about three inch cubes very very lovely enclosures beautiful looking 
very well ventilated. And I think that's one of the issues I have with them is they're so well ventilated that I really have to keep on top of making sure they don't dry out too much. So if you choose to use them, again, they're beautiful. So for somebody that wants to have their slings and something that's really nice, you know, check them out. But you do need to keep on top of it. Make sure they don't dry out. I'm assuming with places where it's a little more humid, not as big of a deal. In where the state that I live in, basically the wintertime, it gets quite cold. The heat runs. It dries out the air. I, I will run a humidifier up here. But I had these containers on a shelf, and I did not put them in a sling incubator. We talked about that last week where you put them in a larger container with some water, open water in the middle. So it kind of keeps the overall humidity inside that container up, keeps your slings from drying out. I will this year have to put them in something like that because it does dry out very, very quickly. So just, again, cross-ventilation, excellent. Always good to have good ventilation. Just know that the more ventilation you have, the more you have to stay on top of keeping that substrate moist. So again, that's kind of why I like those dram vials for the smaller ones. I've had a couple people email me where they got the little teeny tiny slings and they put them in fancier enclosures and they're having a hard time. Like, I think it's drying out too quickly. Just be very, very careful that that's where sometimes the found enclosures, they don't look as nice. They don't look as pretty. They're obviously cheap, but they can sometimes work better than the premium enclosures for the smaller slings. Now, we talked about the very, very slow growth rate, and one of the things I always say when I'm doing husbandry videos is that warmer temperatures will lead to higher metabolisms and faster growth rate, and that's been proven many, many times with folks that contact me with spiders that their growth is off the charts, and they're living in places where it's just... 80, 80 degrees, 85 degrees most of the year round, as opposed to here where we have the winter time where it drops a bit, which I think for many species is more natural, but that's not to say it's better for them. Just saying you're going to get more of that seasonal temperature fluctuation. So if you're keeping them warmer all year round, expect your growth rates to be a little faster. However, I do want to point out that we've had two years now in this new house or two summers in this new house. And the tarantula room during the summer is usually right around 80 degrees most of the summer if not mid 80s so a lot higher temps this summer i was expecting all my little afana pelmas to at least get in a good molt put on some size well i got exactly one molt from one afana pelma species all summer long so even with the warm temperatures for several months not a lot going there last summer i did have i think two of them molt Maybe if it was all year round, we'd get more, but that's what I'm looking at. So even with the higher temps, I haven't seen an incredible difference in growth rate. However, I'm sure folks will chime in that have those 80 degree temps all year long that will have faster growing spiders. I will point to my Afanapelma more that I've been having very, very slow growth rate. I know some folks that bought theirs about the same time that they bought mine and they're already juvenile. So right there, it shows there can be some differences in growth between different specimens kept in different conditions. But recognize one of the issues I've had with you, not issues, but something to be aware of. Mine can be rather dainty eaters. The little teeny tiny ones I've always done pre-killed with. I found that most of mine are a little scared of live prey, even when I'm able to drop into, if I can drop in really teeny tiny pinhead red runner roaches. We're talking about the super tiny ones. Some of my smaller slings will go at them. A lot of them, I just found it easier to take a pinhead roach kill it, drop it in there, and they come back later and they'd be scavenge feeding. Even some of the ones that have put on some size, I've had to drop in smaller prey items for. They seem to be a little bit more finicky, a little bit more skittish when it comes to larger prey items. So for the little teeny baby ones, the first question always comes to mind, what the heck am I going to feed these things? 
First thing that usually comes up is the flightless fruit flies. If you have them on hand and you keep them around to have them feed or feeding them other thing or you keep cultures of them, yeah, they can work. I find them to be a little bit of a pain in the butt. And for larger slings, you kind of have to put in multiples. They're not very big meals, but for the teeny tiny ones, they will sometimes go after those. So let's get that out of the way. I know folks are like, why don't you use those? Just because they're a little more difficult for me or a little more time consuming to get them out. Usually what I do is I tap out a bunch of them into a glass. I cover it with tinfoil. I put it in my refrigerator or freezer for a few minutes and just till they stop moving. And then I can basically go and tap out a few of them into each enclosure, just as long as they don't reawaken. As soon as they reawaken, they're all over the place. But that's a little tip I use to make working with flightless fruit flies a bit uh, easier. The other thing I like to feed them is cricket or roach drumsticks. That's basically when you pinch off a leg of a cricket or a roach, you drop it in, you let the tarantula feed off it. Just know that if you're putting in larger items, you will have to go back and clean them out afterwards because what happens is if you don't, a lot of times they can sit down. This is where I think we get the long pre-molt periods, especially with the teeny tiny slings. They go in, they feed off that cricket leg until they're completely filled up and then they go into pre-mold. So suddenly you have the old, oh gosh, it only ate once. I don't understand it's not eating anymore. Well, it filled up in one shot. But a lot of times they will not get anywhere near eating that entire leg. So you want to go back afterwards with a little pair of tweezers, carefully pull it out before it starts to mold. I've done that before where I fed them, forgotten about the leg, come back and there's a little fluffy mold thing around it. You don't want that. So make sure you pluck out any extra afterwards. So pre-killed cricket legs, Roach legs, mealworm segments, another thing I've used before. Mealworms are lovely if you have a bunch of slings because you can refrigerate them and kind of put them in a little like hibernation state where they'll keep a lot longer. Then you can take a couple out, thaw them out, crush the heads, cut them into segments, drop a segment in, they'll feed off the segments. But I found, again, with the teeny tiny ones, that's easier. Larger ones, you can find small, like little teeny tiny crickets, little small roaches, they'll go after them. I have found right now, the majority of mine are an inch or larger, and they will go after the small red runner roaches. And I'm talking like less than a quarter inch or so. But once they get a little bigger, some of them tend to be a little scared of them. So just to keep that in mind, I'm sure other folks have ones that have better appetites, but most of mine a little scared of larger prey, so something to keep in mind. And then to go back to molting and pre-molt and the frequency of molting, that's where they can become a bit tedious. That's where I think some people get frustrated with them because they will eat, they will get nice and fat, and then they won't molt for months. I've had the, I usually most slings of many of the species I've kept, you're talking when they're tiny, they molt every couple months or so. The Afonapelma species, I've had the ones here now. I have some that haven't molted in well, close to a year. So that's a long time to go between molts for a small specimen. The other thing is they don't seem to put on a lot of size with each molt when they're quite small. I was just joking with somebody who said that their moray went from half an inch to only about three quarters of an inch in two years or something along those lines. And I said, well, mine went from three quarters of an inch to half an inch in the same amount of time, joking because they almost seem to shrink. They don't put on a lot of size. So something to keep in mind when you're keeping these guys, you're going to have to be a little more diligent for much longer than you would with other slings of more faster or faster growing species. So you're keeping slings. You're wondering when do they become juveniles? The term juveniles when it comes to spiders is obviously a very relative term. Everybody seems to have their own definition of it. I basically consider juvenile a spider that is starting to show its adult colorations. It's no longer the little 
brown sling, the little tan sling, the little blue sling. It's starting to show some colors that are leading toward its adult coloration. Not necessarily its exact adult coloration, but it's starting to grow out of that sling stage and show some colors that are different than the sling stage. With a Fonapelma species, you're usually looking at around an inch and a half, probably closer to an inch and three quarters. And that would be about 4.4, 4.5 centimeters or so. Usually about that size, they're showing, they're taking a step toward becoming adults. For example, my Afonapelma calcotis, which was a sling for quite some time, obviously. We've already talked about that. But recently after its last molt, it's starting to show some of the calcotis colors, the tans, the darker leg areas. So that one I would consider now to be just about, I would consider it to be a juvenile. That one's a little on the smaller side, probably about an inch and a half or so, but definitely out of that sling stage, looking closer to its adult coloration. So when talking about juveniles, inch and a half to inch and three quarters or so, you're going to start to have a juvenile spider. At that time, you're probably going to want, well, hopefully you're probably taking it out of the dram vial. You're taking it out of your deli cup or your 16 ounce enclosure or whatever you had it in. And now you can put it into something a little bit larger. Again, keep in mind, they probably will burrow. So you do not want to, and my, my advice is to don't put them into something that they're going to be swimming in. I know when we hear burrowing, people think, oh, is the more substrate the better. I found through my own experience that can work against you with certain species. They will bury, they will burrow all the way down to the bottom. They'll have several inches of substrate up top. They'll close the burrow off, they'll molt, and they won't come back up. And that's something you want to be careful of with the Afonapelma species. So with the juvenile that's say an inch and three quarters or so, something around ah, two quarts or a gallon or so, the Small critter keepers can work well for these guys. Just remember that you're going to want to keep it moist. Uh, the bottom level is moist again, or at least make sure there's some moisture in there. And they can evaporate very quickly. Moisture evaporates very quickly with those open top, very well-ventilated enclosures. But something around those size, there are also a lot of those magnetic top enclosures out there, whether it be Herp Colt, Tarantula Cribs, Nanny Zoo, whatever your preferred one is. They have ones that go there usually about six by six by eight or so, I believe, which would be about 20 by 15 and a quarter by 15 and a quarter centimeters, something around that size, or even a slight you know, size up would hold them, I believe, for quite some time. So you're looking at something around, again, the smaller Critter Keeper around there. If you want a nicer enclosure, I do think at this point, they're going to spend a lot of time in that juvenile stage. They, they can be quite small for a little while. So that would work great. I've also used the M design containers. I put my A. Calcota's Nikki. She's closer to probably a young adult, but I put her in one of those. Those measure about seven. It's like seven and a half by seven and three quarters by 11 and a half or so around there. But those are kind of nice. Obviously, pick what works for you, but this is a place where I would put mine into something a little prettier because at that point, they're going to start little by little. Each molt, they're going to show off more of those adult colors, and you want to see them because probably at this point, three, four, five, six years with them looking like little brown slings, you want to show these guys off. So something around those sizes, again, there's no... 
I have a lot of folks who be like, exactly what size should I put this one in? I don't know. Look at what's out there. Give it a shot. You know, I love to just go on Amazon or go to Walmart or Target and find stuff that looks good and try it out, see if it works. Sometimes they go, man, this is great. We're going to add this. I'm going to pick up a bunch of them and use it. Other times like, nope, we're not using that again. That's one and done. See what works for you. But I do think whatever container you use should allow for a few inches of substrate because you're going to want to keep part of it moist. You don't have to go crazy on this one for most of the species that we're going to talk about, but I would want to make sure that at least part of the substrate is moist at all times. I usually do the end that has the burrow. So if I'm setting up the container and it's long wise facing me at the back of it, I put the cork bark hide, I put a little starter burrow underneath it and I keep that area moist. And I found the majority of them will dig down to get that moisture. And then again, they can go up and down. If they want it a little more moist, they go down to the bottom. If they want it a little less moist, they can come up to the top. And then the water dish area, I keep that one generally rather dry, although you can sometimes overflow the water dish, have a little moist spot over there. But you do want to give them a choice once they get a little bit larger. And then when setting it up, again, they're going to spend, I've, I've said many times before, I don't put a lot of my slings or juveniles in fancy enclosures. I My thing is once they are young adults, I get them in the nice adult enclosure so that I can show them off, so that I can see them. But I see most times with most species I keep, I don't see a lot of sense in putting them in this really nice juvenile. This is just me. Other people disagree, and that's totally fine. I'm not trying to convince anybody from doing it. I'm just saying, I don't, if the spider's going to be in a container for seven months, eight months, a year, and then I'm going to be putting it in something else, I'm not going to go out and put it in something really pretty. I'm not going to overly decorate it or try to create this really beautiful environment or aesthetically pleasing environment because it's going to be out of that enclosure. I'm going to end up throwing all that stuff away eventually. However, when you're talking about the slower growing species and a fonapelma obviously qualify, it does make some sense sometimes to set them up in nicer enclosures. So I would do something with probably some leaf litter, some cork bark, some fake plants, do it up really nice because they're going to be in it for quite some time. Although they do start putting on size a little more quickly, or at least they seem to grow a little more quickly once they get past that sling stage into the juvenile stage. And again, when they're this size, expect them to burrow. That's normal. They, they're they visible. The one thing I will say is more often than not, mine will burrow all over the place. Even as slings, when I went over and looked at them, they're always out in the open. They just like the burrow and they'll run down to their burrows if they want to. So the good thing is it's not like having a true fossorial species where you're never going to see it. They're usually out and about. It's just they do have those burrows. They do like the dig and they will continue that behavior right up until they are juveniles. Now, as far as feeding is concerned, once they put on some size and they get to that juvenile stage, I found the majority of them are voracious eaters. So at that point, you can feed them appropriately sized prey. Mine are taking down, Nikki will take down large crickets, no problem now, where she was one of the, we'll get into this when I talk about the individual spiders, one of the most skittish, prey skittish spiders I've ever had, but they usually eat really well. Just know that with the feeding schedule, I would not pick an aggressive feeding schedule with them because what you're going to have is a spider that's going to fatten up more quickly. And by aggressive feeding schedule, I mean feeding them like multiple times a week. A lot of people are like, oh good, they're growing now. I'm going to pump them up full of food and they'll molt even faster. Not necessarily the case with a fonapelma species. What you'll have is one that'll fatten up to the point where it looks like a tick about to pop. And then you'll have many, many, many months to wait until it actually molts. So I would pick a less aggressive feeding schedule every two weeks or so. Don't overdo it. Don't feed them super huge meals. You know, I'm not talking about dumping in 20 crickets or so. A couple crickets every two weeks or so, even once a month they'll be just fine. And then when you're finally able to get one to adulthood, if you're still in the hobby and not in a nursing home and having your kids take care of them because you're so old, seriously, it's going to take a while. 
Then you can look at, uh, there's a lot of beautiful enclosure options for adults. The 12 by 12 by 12, I believe it's 30 by 30 by 30 centimeter. Exoterras are good. Yeah, I Normally what I would do, because the fronts don't allow for a, a ton of substrate, and the females may do a bit of burrowing, they adapt, to a bur- adapt to burrow and do some more digging out of it. You want to angle the substrate up toward the back of it because the front, you only get about three inches, two and a half, three inches in there. So angle it up, put a cork bark there, a little starter burrow, some nice stuff. Those are the ones you want to go all out on. And you could use acrylic enclosures, a larger acrylic enclosure. Most of the Afonopelma species get to be five or six inches or so, so medium to large spiders. So anything around that size would work fine. I know overseas they have the kind of cube glass aquariums that they use. Those would be great. But I would want to put it in something. I think one of the things people did in the past with some of the Afonopelmas is as adults, they would set them up terrestrially. So they would give them you know a few inches of substrate, a hide, and that's about it. And that's okay. A lot of them will adapt to the hide. They don't need to burrow. But I would honestly give my guys enough room so they can do a little bit of burrowing if they feel like it. So, for example, I have spoken to some folks that have a calcotas that they keep them in, you know, your typical shoebox, a couple inches of substrate, a little hide. They're fine. They're calm. I've talked to other folks that have ones that they gave them some room to dig and they ended up burrowing, you know, again, not full fossorial, but they did enjoy the ability to be able to dig their burrow out a little bit. And they're still out and about. They'll just go to their burrow if they're startled or don't feel like somebody's shining a flashlight or checking on them. So that I think is important with these guys. I would not, when these guys get a little bit older, I will give them enclosures probably that allow some room for digging. However, would I say somebody that's setting them up more terrestrial is setting them up wrong? No, as long as they have a little bit, as long as they can create a little bit of a burrow, they have enough substrate, cork bark hide, a place they can feel secure, they're probably fine. And at that age, obviously the moisture isn't as big of a deal. A lot of folks will keep, say, their uh, Fonopelma calcotis bone dry. I would still... I obviously give them a water dish and I would make it rain on occasion, moisten down a corner or so of the substrate and then let it dry out in between. If you notice that when you're moistening the substrate down that your tarantula avoids, actively avoids the moisture or it's got a burrow, you moisten down the lower levels and suddenly it's out of the burrow and won't go into the burrow, then that's a spider that probably doesn't appreciate the moisture, doesn't want the moisture and you can let that thing dry out. But that's usually my trick with some of the spiders because you never know. I think... For ones that sadly, and with the Fonopelma species, we get a lot of this, are wild-caught or from wild-caught specimens, you'll notice that A, a lot of them will want to burrow more and longer than their captive-bred counterparts, and B, some of them will appreciate some moisture. It's something they will find in the wild. When it starts drying out, they dig their burrows, they find the moisture, so a little tip there. Hopefully someday I will have more than just a couple that are at the adult size. Obviously, this will be something we'll revisit later on. I My dream is to someday be able to go through and do a proper video genus review where I can show off a bunch of beautiful Fonopelma species to get people to recognize that they are gorgeous spiders. They are worth going through that long sling period, that long growth rate for, because when you see the adults, they're stunning. So that pretty much covers, again, I can only give information. The way I do things here is I can only talk about what I have actual experience in. And we're a little thin on experience with adults. So I have to kind of concentrate on the slings and juveniles. 
join me again in 20 more years and we'll do the one with it. No, seriously. But one thing I want to do is go through the ones I have and some notes of the one on the ones I've had so that people know what to expect when they're raising them up. Now, again, the majority of these would still probably fall under the category of slings, despite the fact that I've had some of them now for six years. So let that sink in a bit. So the first one we're going to cover is a Utilenum, the California Ebony. I got mine in March of 2021. At the time, it was about a half inch. This one is grown a little more quickly. Right now, it is a whopping, I just checked on it beforehand, at about one inch. So it's put on a decent amount of size in about a year and a half, going on two years. We'll see if it continues to grow at that rate. Like the majority of the ones on this list, it was put into, originally it was in a dram vial. It burrowed, dug, had a little burrow in the dram vial. I moved it into a larger enclosure and it is since dug and burrowed. It has like two or three entrances. It's constantly moving substrate. But again, looking forward to growing this one up. A little small at the moment, but I'm hoping with the next couple of molts or so, we'll start seeing some maybe adult colors. Next one, everybody's favorite, the Afana Pelma More or the Mexican Jade Fuego. I got mine in early 2019 as a 0.5 inch sling, and it is now a whopping one inch. It, it's maybe a little bigger. I went over before I did the podcast and I was checking on them all, and she kind of went up against the glass. She might be a little bit bigger, but this thing has been so slow growing. However, I do think part of the problem, and I'm going to call myself out on it, and we're going to go back to those, you know, how a good enclosure can make or break you as far as a spider's behavior. I got, when I got her, she was in one of the larger matchbox containers, and she wasn't really able to burrow all that well. There was a leaf in there for her to hide beneath, and there just wasn't enough substrate for her to really get a good burrow going, and she seemed very, very, every time I'd open that thing up, she was very scared and skittish, so I think part of it was the surroundings was not conducive to her feeling settled in and being able, able to eat well. I did sense move her into one of the tarantula crib three by three by three cubes. She has done a bunch of, but like right away, started burrowing. She seems to be eating better, a little more bold. She's eating live prey now. I'm dropping a little Red runner roaches, she's snatching them up, eating well. So I'm thinking part of the reason mine has grown so slowly is due to the fact that I kept her in an enclosure that just didn't offer her the security she needed. So that's on me, and that's something to think about when you're setting these guys up. You have an enclosure that looked that little matchbox container, looked great on a shelf, but was it the right choice for her? I don't know. I don't think so. Next up, I have two Afonapelma Calcotas. First one we're going to talk about, Nikki. Love this girl. This is one I picked up as a Fonapelma Schmitty back in October of 2016. At the time, she was an inch and three-quarter juvenile. Uh, one of the most skittish eaters I have ever, ever had of any tarantula I've ever kept. At the time, I had her in one of the, what was it, about four by four by six inch or so Amac boxes. It was a Jamie's Juvenile enclosure. I put in a bunch of substrate to allow her to dig. There was a cork bark round. gave her a starter burrow. That spider would, oh my God, I had such a hard time with her at first. She wouldn't eat anything live. Didn't matter how small it was. I'd put pre-killed in. Sometimes she'd eat it. Sometimes she wouldn't. Took her forever to grow. She was also the one that would bury herself usually right around late October, almost to the date, and resurface in early April. And again, we had, it was like April 3rd, April 3rd, April 4th. She did it for four years in a row. So I I have my suspicions that this was a wild-caught specimen because a lot of the wild-caught ones do still have their natural internal clocks. And in the wild, she came from a place, I talked to a, uh, one of my 
YouTube followers or subscribers lives in the area where these come from and said it gets really, really cold during the wintertime. So when it got really cold, what they would do is burrow to protect themselves beneath the frost line. So that seemed to be what she was doing every year. She is now out a lot more often. When she's eating, she's eating great. But right now she hasn't eaten in about six months or so. She's probably in pre-molt. And I'm waiting for that next molt to see what she looks like. Again, these guys were, when they did the Afana Pelmar revision a few years back, these guys were rolled into just being a different coloration or a different regional variant of Afana Pelma Calco but I do like to differentiate that she was originally sold as something else, but I love this girl. She was originally got the name Nikki because anybody that knows the story, she had this huge booty. She like literally ate to the point where she looked like a tick. And we called her Nikki after Nikki Minaj with the obvious uh, anatomical reasons. So love Nikki, spunky little one. I went to go feed her the other day, see if she was eating just in case because she hadn't eaten in a while. But sometimes, you know, they'll be in pre-molt and then it seemed to be in pre-molt and then they'll eat again. She didn't eat, but she always comes charging right out of her burrow, like to see what's going on, which I find incredibly endearing. And then the other eight Calcotas I got as a second instar sling in 2019. It was a pretty beefy one for as far as a second instar sling. That one was in a dram vial, could not get it to burrow. It was the weirdest thing. I did my trick where I put the a little hole down the side with the back of a paintbrush, put some water down the bottom, let the bottom level stay moist. This thing just would climb all the time, wouldn't go down the burrow, wouldn't do any burrowing whatsoever, but it ate fairly well, but I had to feed it pre-killed. Again, when they don't burrow, they're usually not feeling as secure as they should. That can lead to a situation when you drop live prey in, items in, it runs over the prey item, runs in, freaks them out, they won't eat, they'll climb up, they won't come down. Sometimes they'll come down later on when they calm down and go, oh, prey item, but sometimes it freaks them out. So that could have been part of it, but she did grow rather quickly for an Afana Pelma species. She is now about an inch and a half, maybe an inch, probably around an inch and a half or so, and showing some of her adult colors. It was a wonderful surprise. She molted, seemed to put on a great deal of size and got some of that coloration. So growing a little more quickly than some of my others, acalcotas are usually very, very slow growing species, but this one, she's putting on some decent size. So I'm hoping with that next molt, she gets to be about an inch and three quarters or so and I'll have a little baby, you know, look like a little adult version of an acalcotas. Very excited about that one, but awesome. Everybody loves acalcotas. They did make it on them when I did the top, what was it, top 13 best beginner species as chosen by keepers. Calcotas was on there. A lot of people love them. So good to note that some of them can be a little faster growing than others. Next up, we have my Afonapelma moderatum or Rio Grande Gold. I have two of these. Again, I got them back, I believe, in late 2018. And at the time, little teeny tiny, probably a third of an inch slings. Right now, they're both around an inch and a quarter or so, or about 3.2 centimeters. Sorry, I've been forgetting to put the centimeters in there for folks overseas. But they're putting on okay size. It's looking, they've got the, that look now that they have gigantic booties, very fat. And I'm hoping with this next molt, we'll see some colors, see some more hair on them. That's the other thing. When tarantulas go from that sling mode to the juvenile mode, they start getting the hairs, a lot more hairy. So I'm hoping this next one will bring some, you know, colors, awesome little spiders, very tough little spiders, very hardy little spiders. And the adults are just stunning. So I really can't wait to see some of those colors. But I have a funny feeling at the rate they've been growing, it's going to be a couple more years till we see any of that, you know, gold coloration on them. But 
doing great. Uh, these are ones, I have two of them right now that are in those cylinders, and they have basically made Swiss cheese out of the cylinders with all the digging. They've dug out the entire bottom. There's a couple different entrances and exits. Every once in a while, they collapse it, and then they redig it again. So they have continued to dig. I do keep part of the substrate moist. I do try to put water dishes in there, but they tend to bury them all. Hopefully, soon, I'll be able to get some pics of some sporting, because I'm thinking once they go to about an inch and a half with this next mole, hoping around an inch and a half with the next mole, It'll start to look like a little tarantula and less like a little brown sling. Now, I have a Fonapelma bicoloratum. Unfortunately, this is my second one. This one I just bought as about a half inch, maybe three quarter inch sling. Just at a show recently from Caleb Hill from Jabberwock Reptiles. He's the one that does all their tarantula sales. Good dude. And I got one. I was so excited to get one because... Uh, this is this hurts me to say. I had one that I was raising up that I got back in 2017, 2018 or so. It was a little teeny tiny sling. It was actually growing rather well compared to the other ones. She had molted this. It was earlier this year, and I came in and checked on her, and she was sporting her adult coloration, or starting to sport some of those adult colorations, those reddish legs. Looked gorgeous. She was spread all out doing her spider yoga. Could not wait to feed her and get her out into a new enclosure. I go to check on her. She's sitting there looking great. I go to get a picture of her. She doesn't move. I'm like, oh, this is great. Drop in a prey item. The prey item runs over her. She doesn't even flinch. And I'm like, no, this can't be happening. She passed away after the moment. It was awful. She had been basically hardening up for well over a week. She wasn't in a death curl. She looked like she was sitting there posing as picturesque as could be. And she was dead. It gutted me. Like one of the hardest deaths I've ever had because I had raised her for over four years. She had finally hit that juvenile stage. And now this. So I'd gotten her through all the difficult. She started off as a teeny tiny sling, got her through all that only to have her pass away as she should be, you know, much, a much more hardy juvenile. So that one still kills me, but I did get the replacement. I'm looking forward to growing her up. Uh, really hoping again, anytime you lose anything. And I know we've talked about this in previous episodes, when you lose a spider of a certain species that always gets in the back of your mind, that it's going to happen again. Obviously I think this is a freak occurrence. I don't know what happened with her. Obviously it must've been something wrong with the molt or during the process, but hopefully this one stays healthy because I really want to have a big, beautiful adult in my collection. Next one I have is a Fonapelma Hensi or Texas Brown. Picked this one up as a little teeny tiny sling in early 2018. Now it's about one inch or so. So putting on some decent size, looking looking good, looking good. Still looks like a little brown sling. So this one, again, just like all the others, done some burrowing. Ate pre-killed when it was younger. It's now to the point that it will take live prey if you did the little red runner roaches, the B lateralis roaches. It stopped eating recently. So I got a funny feeling. I got a couple months at least of pre-molt here and hoping that with the next molt, we'll see a little more hair, a little more looking like a juvenile. We'll see how it goes, but can't again with all of these, it's that waiting game to have them start showing those adult colorations. I think I still have a ways to go with this one though, because it's still a little bit small. And then we have my Afonapelma simani or zebra. Was it zebra knee, zebra tarantula, something like that. Picked this one up in March of 2017. It was about an inch and three quarters to two inches or so. It was a pet store rescue. They had a bunch of them in. The majority of them were dead. I took this one home. Love the AC Monty. Fun fact, AC Monty was my second tarantula ever. When Billy and I first moved out, we got the queen first. A little while later, we went to a pet expo. And I got, which was unfortunately, I didn't realize, an adult 
male AC Monty, a mature male that didn't last all that long, like a year, year and a half after I got it. It was very, it was always out and about and I couldn't figure out why I created a burrow for it. It wouldn't use the burrow like I had read. Uh, this was the one that I had at one point in a hexagonal fish container. I put it in there temporarily because I had found mold in the enclosure and the tank had at the top of the hexagonal tank. There was a piece of plastic and there was a hole in the middle of it. I don't know why. I thought there was no way the spider could get out of the hole. My mom, who is terrified of spiders, was babysitting my son at the time at our apartment. And I get a call from her saying, I am not going back to that house. One of your spiders is out. And I'm like, what are you talking about? So come to find out, it just climbed up the side of the tank, squeezed right out of that hole and was basically perched right on top of that tank when I got home. Luckily, it didn't get hurt. It didn't go any further. For some reason, it didn't wander anymore. I was able to wrangle it and get it back in. But uh, just to show you how far I've come in my care, I recognize now that if they can get their carapace through, they can get through the hole. Anyway, it was years later when I finally got another one. This one holds a special place in my heart because it reminds me back of that, you know, first moving out, getting all these animals, the exotic animals, getting my first tarantulas. I loved it. This one did, one of the things people talk about is there's color forms of AC Monty. There's the black ones, supposedly brown ones and blue ones. There's a lot of discussion about whether or not the blue and brown are just either faded out adults or in some cases, freshly molted adults. I will tell you that the one I have does have, I have photos of her with a nice blue sheen on her right after a molt, but that tends to dull out a bit as she puts on some more size and tends to get further and further away from that molt. But AC Monty is one of the ones that a lot of us have seen. They do love to burrow even through adulthood. I've seen people keep them more terrestrially. Some folks will have ones that won't burrow. That's fine. If you give them, I think it all comes down to give them the option. Give it, set them up, give them some room to burrow, give them a starter burrow with a piece of cork bark or something over top of it so they can feel comfortable. If they burrow, great. If they don't, better. You see it out all, you know, a lot more often. Also, the AC Monty tend to be ones that like a little bit of moist substrate. Mine right now is in an 8x8x12 Exo, like a Zoomed, one of the Zoomed ones. It's got like a top, a vented top on it that slides out. And it's got about probably about nine inches of substrate. She's burrowed all the way down the bottom, has a burrow at the bottom. She comes up, she'll hunt, go back down to eat. She has continued that burrowing behavior as she's grown up. I think now she's, last I got a measurement on about four and a half, five inches or so. So pretty good size. And then fun fact, for those who don't know, if anybody's seen the movie, Home Alone, very popular Christmas movie. We watched the heck out of it during Christmas time. There's a scene where they put the spider on top of Daniel Stern's face and he screams. That is an Afonapelma Simani. It seems like the spider used most. It looks like it's probably a couple different spiders used, but the majority of the time it does seem to be an Afonapelma Simani. On the high definition versions, you can see that orange bottom when you go put it over his head when you get his point of view. So a little fun fact there, but love this spider. It's always going to have a special place in my heart because again, reminds me about those old days and when it first got into the hobby. Also reminds me of how much of a terrible keeper I was back then. But also one thing to note with these guys, a little more high strung than some of the other species. This is not one I would try to handle. I know a lot of folks say AC Monty should be on the beginners list, but I have heard of folks who get a little... I think if they don't burrow, you're going to have a more high-strung spider on your hands, and that can freak people out there new to the hobby that think all New World species just want to be cuddled and handled. And they do grow a bit faster than some of the other species. I've heard many people say they got AC Monty slings and they ran laps around the other Afonapelma species they had with growth rate. So something to keep in mind. But awesome spiders, definitely a hobby staple. Did I have this on my... I hope I had this on my hobby staple list. If I didn't, shame on me. But... 
awesome spiders and definitely one of the more popular Afonopelma species in the hobby. And unfortunately, I think one that we still see a lot of wild-caught specimens in the hobby, which is why we tend to have more high-strung temperaments and ones that want to burrow more. I have a sneaky suspicion that the ones I got, because the guy got them as you know already well-started juveniles, were probably wild-caught, which really stinks. So Ace Monty, awesome spider. And then the last one on the list, I just covered and did a video of the Afonapelma Berica or Costa Rican Blue Front, which gets my vote for the worst common name ever. I got into it with somebody, not, kind of jokingly into somebody like, you're trying to tell me these names aren't bad? Blue Leg, Blue Fang? No, all common names are usually pretty uninspired, but Blue Front, I mean, come on, that's awful. I was giggling. The worst part was I was running to do the video and I quickly looked up like, wait a minute, what is the common name of this? And I didn't even think. I just quickly jotted down Blue Front, went to do the intro, and all of a sudden it clicked. God, this is awful. But beautiful spider, one that I've had several folks come on and think that if they ever re-examine the Afonopelma genus again, these guys will be moved to another genus because they are much faster growing than other Afonopelma species, grow very, very quickly. Large specimens sport blue on the Clarissera and on their front legs. If you get the right, you know, under the right light, they're not going to be like a bright blue, like a Tarinopelma Sosme, but if you get them under the right light, you can definitely see that blue. And for folks who want an Afonopelma that think all Afonopelma are earthy toned, that blue really stands out. The growth rate, I think when I got mine, she was about an inch or so. So well started, but she's already in a matter of a year and a half gone up to close to three inches. So that's really good growth rate for an Afonopelma species. Beautiful spider. If you if you don't believe me, I would say check out the video or just even hop over to my Instagram where I took a picture of her eating. It was right after it was her first meal, I think, after a, fre- a molt. And you can see those blues popping, but gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous spider. Now, will I get more Fauna Pelmas? Heck yes, but it is getting to the point, I'm going to be completely honest, where I'm getting older and I'm going to start thinking about the fact that someday... I may not be around when some of these guys reach maturity. These uh, The thing that comes with the slower growth rate is you generally have a spider that could live to upwards of 25, 30, even 40 years. I don't think 35 to 40 years is unreasonable considering that I have ones now that I've had for five years that are still only about an inch, an inch and a half tops. So imagine the growth rate to get them up to their adult, especially for a female, to its adult size, five, six inches. You're talking about an old, old spider. So that's the good news. But it's something to consider if you're older and you're picking them up that you better you know, have it in your will who's going to end up getting these things because it could be difficult for a family to inherit a bunch of spiders that they know nothing about or don't have any interest in. And I apologize for the, the morbid turn there, but it is something you got to think about with something that can live that long. And it's something I'm thinking about now because, again, I'm starting to get up there. I keep buying slings, but I think my window for buying a Fauna Palma slings will close in a few years. So I think my the thing I'm going to work concentrate now and, and moving forward is grabbing a few more that I really want to grow up and we'll take it from there. So that about covers it for our Fauna Pelma kind of genus review, our pre-genus review. Again, I like doing these when they're all adults and grown up, and it's going to be a while. So this will definitely, if I'm still doing the podcast years from now, that'll be something I revisit. I, my dream is to be able to do a video about it, so that's definitely something we'll do. Again, if I'm doing all this, uh, whenever, it's hard to look that far ahead because we're talking about it could be four, five, six years. But at some point, I would love to do it. Please, for those of you who have a Fonopelma species, chime in and let me know, you know, how do you keep yours? What do you keep them in? What have you noticed? What behaviors? For folks that keep ones that I don't have listed here, 
please let us know what you got. What are you experiencing with them? For those of you that are getting the super fast growth rates, because I know every time I do one of these, somebody chimes in and goes, mine is multi 15 times in a year. And I'm not saying that like I don't believe them. I do believe them. It's just kind of like you're lucky. But please chime in with your temperatures, you know, how you're keeping them. Let folks know what to expect, because this is obviously what I'm experiencing here in Connecticut, USA with the seasonal temperatures dipping and the heat kicking on and the air drying out in the winter time somebody that's keeping them in warmer more tropical climes may end up having much faster growth rate or different growth rate than me chime in with it let us know so that will do it for this one i think as far as youtube's concerned i just posted my first neohalatheli inci husbandry video although i've raised them several of them over the course of seven, I think maybe even eight years. I finally have one that looks like a female and I wanted to show her off. And I've had people ask about them like, Hey, I can't believe you haven't covered this one because talk about hobby staples. Everybody loves these guys. So that one's up. I think that's about it. So as always, you can find me at thomasbigspiders.com. You can find me on Thomas Big Spiders podcast. If you want to comment on this one, you all know the drill by now. Stay safe. We'll catch you all next time.